Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Lauren Hastings is a speech-language pathologist, private practitioner, doctoral student, advocate, and educator. Basically, Lauren is a multi-passionate person who I've gotten to know over the years because we're both committed to helping SLPs be successful in private practice. Lauren is very knowledgeable about insurance and third-party payer sources, and we get into a lively discussion about whether or not private practices should take insurance, hire credentialers, and more. If you've been thinking about becoming an insurance provider for your private practice, this is a must-listen episode, so stay tuned. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. So before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? My name is Lauren Hastings. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, and my practice is here to speak. So Lauren, we have been wanting to do this podcast for a long time. We're both in like the SLP private practice space. And for anyone who is not following Lauren online, can you just tell everyone what your Instagram handle is real quick? It is Sassy SLP, S-A-S-S-Y-S-L-P. I love it. So go give Lauren a follow. And then listen to this episode because we have a lot to talk about, about private practice, about insurance, about like taking action and just getting the thing done. But before we kind of dive into what your private practice and, you know, business and everything else looks like now, can you please take our listeners back to the beginning of your career as an SLP and what led you to start thinking about private practice? Yeah. so. I just thought I was going to be in the schools forever, y'all. Like, I remember when I first started, I was like, oh, I I want my grades. And I'm just going to be that one that stays in the school system forever. That didn't happen. So I did five years in the schools. And for those of you who are, I would say, who are spiritual, I obviously have a goal to get married. 
And so I was praying. I was like, okay, God, whatever you want me to fix, right? Just tell me what it is. And I remember hearing your dad. And I was like, no, pick something else. Like my finances, managing that, maybe, you know, how I talk to people. And so my contract didn't get renewed in Tennessee. And then I ended up back at home. And then within a year of me being at home, my dad called me. Long story short, we had to move him to Atlanta because of his health. And so private practice was just never a part of it. But because of, you know, taking care of my dad and all of his health challenges, I had to just jump ship. So funny story is that I worked for somebody who was supposed to train me, but she did not. So after months of getting rejected with my Medicaid application because of like one small thing, I got approved and she gave me three kids from her caseload or from her business because they were on my side of town. So I lived on like the southwest part of Atlanta. Her business was on the east side. So I started my practice with three kids and no marketing, no nothing. So that was June of 2016. And then by December, I had 20 kids. But here's a part of your story. And I obviously, you know, don't love that your your dad was sick and, you know, you needed yeah. no care. But I really yeah. love you were able to do that in a way that like, you know, the your contract wasn't renewed. You moved. It was kind of like all these weird signs, which probably at the yeah. time were bad signs. Right. Oh, man, I was devastated. I was living my best life in Nashville. I love Nashville. Had my friend group was living my best life. And then it just was. But maybe a silver lining is you found this whole private yeah. rec thing and you were able to have oh. that ability that you needed. Yeah. I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And when doors close, it's leading to where you need to be. So therefore... I just, I found what I'm meant to be, not only in private practice, but coaching and now advocacy, which we'll talk about that later. It's just private practice, I feel, opens your mind to different things. I had to realize that when I'm in, like, let's say in Basel or Asher and some, some of the organizations I involve myself in, and when I feel myself clashing with people, I'm like, Lauren, you think different. Totally, which is one of the reasons why it's so important for private practitioners to get to know each other and to not yes. do this whole thing alone and not try to like DIY your way through it or just guess and do your private practice in isolation. It is so important to have either mentors and people to learn from, whether you know that's me or Lauren or, or Ebony or, Pan, you know, there's lots of lots of people out there, um, but also to have peers and to have people that you're kind of going through this private practice process with that you can yeah. bounce ideas off of and like kind of get to know people. OK, so you went from just a handful of clients to 20 in a pretty yeah. short period of time. And mm -hmm. what happened next? Life got a little crazy. And that's when I decided I needed to either hire an employee or get an office manager? Because I get asked that question a lot and you probably get asked it a lot too. Like, who should be your first hire? 
And it just really depends, right? So I usually say it's probably going to be another SLP or therapist, or it's probably going to be office assistant manager, whatever term you want to use. But I'm going to lean more toward the office manager assistant because when, I don't know what it is in the water, the gods here that you got extra help. And then you start getting the influx of referrals, right? Because that's what happens. I think, let's say, so I'm trying to give you time around. So started June 2016 was basically at a full low between December of 2016 to January 17. I hired a part-time SLP by like April, May. By August, I was just like quickly climbing into hiring an office assistant. And it's crazy because especially when I got her, it got crazy. I don't know what happened. It got super crazy. But just taking off the load of that intake process because you're a therapist too. So having that office help, you're going to want that first before you hire a whole therapist for sure. Totally. And I think it depends on people's like kind of personality and skills. Like for those people who are really type A, really organized, can keep lots of balls in the air and keep track of things. Maybe you don't need the office manager right away. Maybe the clinician, like you have a wait list, maybe getting those extra sessions is the better move. But for anybody who isn't that personality type and who needs help with, you know, structure and organization and follow through and wants to kind of get some tasks off their plate so that you can do more of the treating, then I think the office manager is the better first hire. But the truth is you're going to have both of those people at some point. And so you just kind of have to choose which person do you do first. Right. And I was telling Ebony last year, which kind of has sprinkled over into this year. I was like, the word now is automation. I need to figure out how everything can connect. And that's another tip or gem I want to drop kind of early. When you are on your own or even when you get your office person, you'll want to uh, sign up for platforms and softwares that integrate with each other. So like my office manager, I realized I was like, mm, she has a lot of tabs because I started with SFAX before SFAX got crazy and started charging people like $100 a month. I got on to SFAX when it was only like $9,000. But I had my SFAX and then I had my phone through Google Voice. And then I was like, that's a bit much for her. So I signed up for Ring Central because it's iCloud based. You can put the app on your phone and you can fax and call, call 40. And it's like a real answering machine. And I put it, so I, I wanted to pick something that was all in one. So just as you're building, if you want to send out emails or if you want, you know, obviously 2023, I would hope everybody's intake paperwork is, is digital. Um, you will want all of that integrated, with, whether it's within your website or your EMR system, because that it helps with the flow of your intake process, for sure. Definitely. It's all about streamlining and systems, right? And then yeah. at the very beginning yeah. of private practice, you don't really have that many systems, right? But as you grow, it is integral to make sure that you have systems set up because you have to be learning how to work efficiently, right? There's only so much time in the day. And as your caseload builds and as 
the complexity of your practice builds. If you don't have systems set up, that's why yeah. people get overwhelmed. That's why yeah. people struggle at the growth level is if they yeah. don't have that in place. Right. And try to work five days a week. I am team four days a week, especially when you're starting out, because even as an owner, you know, honestly, as an owner, I'll probably work about two days. Just because you have to build in time for putting out fires. You're now managing people, especially if you take insurance. When you're first starting out, you're going to need that time to call, to call parents, to call doctors before, you know, you start getting help or you know, if you're building a big clinic uh, like Ebony, I know she has like um, a clinical director, you know, you can pass those tasks off. But like you said, if you are in the beginning, you need to make sure you carve out time for that. Because if you're working five days a week, you are going to be overwhelmed. You are going to be under your paperwork and not on top of it. It's just a lot of dribble. The lady I worked for before I started my practice, she gave me a tip, which I never used. She was like, when you start, you're going to be on the phone late at night with your parents. I was like, no, I will not. I was like, just, just like, and I, I've said this on my, my social media. Can you reach your doctor at eight o'clock at night? No, you cannot. Right. You'll get that answering service. So why are we, I know we have a heart of gold because that's just, you know, our field and how we operate. But why would you do that? Because it's almost like you never stop working. You're not getting paid for this, right? You should guard your time. So just like they make time to call the doctor, they need to make time to contact you. I'm even particular about my email. If I'm writing them late at night, I'm scheduling them to go out eight o'clock in the morning with my text messages. Um, I would text my parent the next day. So if it's after four or five o'clock, I give a little wiggle room to six. I think that's the latest I've ever like been on the phone with, with the people. But they got used to it. I mean, that's part of having boundaries, right? Is like you as the business owner gets to set the boundary. And if you yeah. don't, it's going to lead to burnout, right? That's something that I say all the time is like boundaries over burnout. Like you set that tone. If you tell people, hey, I don't respond to like you can text me, I guess, but like when my office is closed, I, I respond during working hours, right? Yeah. But how to tell people that and listeners, you have to stick to that because if you tell people that there's a rule and then you break the rule, you're communicating that there's not really a rule, right? Right. And I'm so glad you said that because don't get it twisted. I did read the text message. Now, if there was an emergency type of situation, like I had a parent say they had to go in emergency surgery and I knew she was pregnant. And I was just like, oh, I'm thinking about you. Like I, I did some quick, real quick like that. But other than that, no, I didn't respond to the next day. Because sometimes they'll just say, oh, they're sick. We need to cancel tomorrow. And in the morning, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> and that is not something I need to respond to at that time. And they got used to it. I mean... What does your doctors do? Model them. And I've said this before. When I had my braces, I watched my orthodontist. Love her to death. She did my braces in high school. So I watched her when I got them the second time. After my consultation, she marched me right into her business, financial person's office. She's like, we just love Lauren. And then she told her how much my discount would be and then walked out. That is delegation. 
you know, it was the epitome of delegation. And I just watched how she did things. You know, she had a system. She checked the patients in, put a little note of what to do. And then it went to her. I don't know what they call it. I was about to say dental hygienist, but that's dentist. But whatever they call in the orthodontist's office. And they, they would look at it and they knew what to do. And then once they were done, she would check us out. She had a system in place. So systems are everywhere. Because um, Evie and I have get, gotten this a lot too, Jenna. And you probably have too. What are systems? I don't know what it is. It's around you. It really is. Even if you go... To get something to eat, there's a system. You walk in, you order, you pay. Then they send your order to the kitchen. They fix it. It comes out. They give it to you. That is the system. So I encourage everybody, the next time you go to any type of medical appointment, watch what they do and how they run their office and pay pay attention to that because that is what you would have to do or need to do for your business for sure. Totally. And you can tell if you're in a place that doesn't have good systems, right? That's like the restaurants where you wait for forever for service. Nobody comes by to take your drink order or they do, or maybe people come by to take your order and then they look confused or whatever, or like a a hair salon that doesn't check you in right away, or you get there and they say, oh, sorry, it's going to be another 45 minutes or whatever. So you want to you're absolutely right to encourage people to model aspects of their business on what we see in other professions, right? Like you can't model everything because obviously private practice is different than, you know, accounting or law or something like that. But there's a lot of things that we can take away from other businesses and systems is definitely one of them. So the next thing that I wanted to ask you about is insurance, because I know that that's one of the things that you kind of specialize in and that you help people understand. And I see people all the time wondering like, oh my goodness, should I take insurance? Like, I don't think my area supports private pay. I'd like to do insurance, but it seems really scary. What do you say to people who feel that way? Well, I would say it's a learning curve, just like what Anything like we said, well, like we talked about before we actually started this episode about phonetics. That was a total learning curve. Like, I don't even know how I made it out of phonetics because with me being black and Southern and I was at a school in Michigan, it was a recipe for disaster. So uh, insurance is definitely a learning curve. And I think what we get caught up in is Facebook groups. When I spoke at ASHA this year, I had a big slide that had Facebook and a big red mark across it. like. Don't listen to people in these Facebook groups because your community might, an area might be totally different from someone else. Um, I have met people that say, Oh, I'm just going to do private pay, but they might be in that area that affords them that. And so doing a market analysis of the area you live in or the area you want to serve is so important. Also with insurance, you don't have to take all of them. You can just take them, right? Because I am learning or have learned that private practices serve the community, just like our doctors, just like our dentists. And so in being a servant to your community, you got to figure out what will best serve them. And private pay just does not have a long shelf life unless you were just, and this is going to come off judgmental, but I already thought it, unless you just, you know, have practice in the Hamptons or something like that. Or in LA, where in, in those type of places, but 
if you are in an area where it's mostly middle class, I'm telling you, they're going to use insurance. They are working at, um, let's say, AT&T or they're working in a school district or they're working for a big organization and that money is coming out their check. They're going to use insurance, right? Some of their insurance plans are not that great, but that's another story for a different day. But most people are going to want to use their insurance. And, Jen, I, I want to bring this up to our listeners. And in, in my presentation at ASHA this past year, I found a statistic for, I think it was 2021, that it was around 85 or 90% of people in the U.S. have insurance. So if 85 to 90% of people in the U.S. in 2021 had insurance, there's a very small percentage of people that are going to pay out of pocket. But I think people are overwhelmed because it's a process to get in. It's a process to get paid. It's terminologies we don't know about. And just they just hear horror stories. So it's all about right education. Yeah. And sometimes the horror stories are from people who have lived them, right? There are definitely some insurance companies that are better and worse or that pay better or that pay on time or that don't, right? But there's also a lot of people who talk out against taking insurance who have never done it. Hi there, Jenna Castro-Casbon here, and I hope that you're loving the episode so far. Chances are you've been listening to this podcast for a while and soaking up a ton of information from myself and our guests, and it's time to make the shift from dreaming to doing and go from inspiration to implementation. Successful private practices don't build themselves. At The Independent Clinician, we help regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners using our proven systems. No more guessing, no more Googling, no more sleepless nights stressing about legalities, we can help you just like we've helped the guests featured on this show. They didn't guess or stress their way through private practice. Instead, they got step-by-step help along the way, and we're excited to help you too. If you need help to get set up and started with private clients on the side, the Start Your Private Practice program is perfect for you. If you've already started and you want to transition into full-time private practice and be successful once you're there, the Grow Your Private Practice program is your next step. To learn more about our programs, go to independentclinician.com. Now back to the episode. And so that's another thing is you do have to consider who are you listening to and what may their biases be in terms of whether or not they're encouraging you to do something, right? One of the things that you said earlier that I thought is a really important message for people to hear is that just because you, you know, air quotes, take insurance doesn't mean that you have to take all of the insurances. And I know for me, I caution people against signing up for too many things at one time because it gets overwhelming, right? Just one at a time. One at a time because they all have different rules and codes of billing. Like um, I remember I first started, but they've changed for the record. I want to make sure. I was just saying they changed. But when I first started out with Blue Cross Blue Shield, they did require modifiers. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, they stopped paying me. And I realized... Well, yeah, I read the claim and it said missing a modifier. I was like, when did y'all start doing modifiers? So if I had Blue Cross and Shield and Medicaid and Cigna and Kaiser all at the same time, because the clients are going to come because they're going to find you either on their patient portal or under their insurance 
when they go to doctors and the referral nurse or nurse practitioner looks up who's in their area, it happens fast, very fast. I told y'all in six months, I went from three kids to 20. It happens very fast. So it's good to kind of master one or two first before you take more. Or you can be like one of my colleagues back in Atlanta. She still works for the school system. She has no plan on like in the office or going private practice full time. She is the epitome of what I promote having a side hustle. She takes straight Medicaid and straight Medicaid only. She sees the kids after school. That is extra money in her pocket. And even though, and they will do this, y'all, insurances will reach out to you, especially if they're new in your state or your area, and try to encourage you to join. But you literally can just do one and still work for somebody else if that is what you want. Because out there, you know, having to get an office and manage people might not be your thing. But you do want some extra income. So like Jenna promotes all the time on her social media and Facebook groups, like you can make some extra money. So you can pay some while for or take a vacation you want it. Totally. And just because you are seeing a couple of clients, you're absolutely right. Like it doesn't have to just be private pay, right? Like you could do insurance for your couple of clients. You know, you could do Medicaid, whatever it is you want to do. So probably some people are listening. They're like, okay. I'm willing to give this a try. I, I don't think that my area is going to support private pay. I totally understand now that I can just take one insurance at a time, that it's a learning curve and I can learn how to do it. Yeah. But then you think like, okay, but the first step is to get credentialed. And so mm-hmm. can you tell people a little bit about kind of what does that even mean to get credentialed? And the second part of that question is, should people do it themselves or should they hire a credentialing company? That's a great question. So credentialing is basically the process of checking you out, right? So a lot of the insurances require not only an application, but they want a copy of your license. They want to see if you have liability insurance. Some might ask for your ASHA number. That's very rare. And there are some other things that you need. And so some insurances have a credentialing department like Medicaid does, but then some use CHUH. And so shameless plug, if you do not take private or you don't plan to take private insurances, you don't need a CHUH profile because that's really what it is. It's just a profile because uh, I've had people say, oh, I need a CHUH too. And I'm like, do you plan on taking private insurance? Then don't go through the headache. But if you are in the school system, especially if you're in the medical field, you probably already have one. So another shameless plug, call them first. Give them like your name. I think your birthday, your social or something like that, because you might already have. But back to the second question. No, I do not feel that people should use a credentialing company. One, they're overpriced. I will say this. If you find someone that does it for like $50 an application, Okay, great, fine, whatever. Go with them, right? But I have heard, and, and Jenna, this is, this is why, even though you encouraged me before I actually pulled the plug with my coaching business, what really pulled the plug is, I want to say it was somebody in your group, some kind of way, we started private messaging each other. And she told me she paid a company 
for five applications, $500 a piece. So is that a two, so $2,500 she paid a company to credential her for five insurances. And when that happened, I was like, why am I being afraid of putting myself out there to teach people? Cause I'm like, went on a cruise with a couple of people. I mean, that is a lot. And what they do is they tell you it's going to take six months. Guys, it only takes 45 days or less. Now, Blue Cross and Shield took me 90. So I should say 45 days to 90 days. That is it. Give or take. And sometimes it's less than that. So it is big if. If you're going to do it, I would say ask them what's their turnaround rate, like period. You know, how long will it take for me to get approved? If they say anything more than 90 days, run, right? Keep your money. And then if it's anything more than $50, I'm just like, don't even waste your money. I tell people, if you can fill out an apartment application, you can fill out these applications. Now, the terminology is a learning curve, but for the most part, some of that stuff doesn't even apply to us. And the application goes for everybody. So they don't have one just for doctors or dentists or therapists. So a lot of that stuff, we just got to skip over, right? So it's just so much identifying information you have to give somebody, like your social, your MPI, your business MPI. Your birth date, your address, where you went to school, all this stuff. And, you know, I was like, I don't want to give that to someone else. And the thing about it is, if you're not set up right, then when, or if you're in a position to hire somebody, you're going to have to fix all of that. So let's say I'm two years in and now I got to redo everything. Like, do I stop seeing my kids? Because People make the mistake of signing up as an individual or they don't know that they that someone signed them up as an individual and not a business. And now they have to start all over again. I found out with one of my colleagues in Atlanta, she was like, Lord, I need some help. And okay, cool. When she told me she signed up as an individual because she didn't have a name for her business, when she applied as a provider, I'm like, you're signed up as an individual. So that is the biggest, I would say that's the number one mistake I see people make in insurance and signing up as an individual. Well, it's, you know, people think it's going to save them time and they think it's right. going to, you know, but you still have to provide all the information. You have to dig up all the information. You have to hand it over. And like, so if you're having to do that anyway, you might as well just fill out the form yourself, right? Oh. Save the money. And just because an, a credentialing company is doing it doesn't mean it's going to happen any faster. And it doesn't mean right. that it's going to happen correctly. And unfortunately, there have been instances that I have heard of of people getting scammed from credentialing companies that weren't real. Or maybe they were real, but they took on too many people and they just weren't able to do it in a timely fashion. So it's not just like that people are, are truly scamming people. Sometimes it's yeah. just that people get overloaded and they can't yeah. you know, fulfill on on the deal but that's just more reason to just do it yourself and then if it gets you know rejected then usually they tell you what the problem is and you like fix that one problem and then like you resubmit exactly just do it yourself that uh, yeah lauren and i are both big proponents of that okay 
I just wanted to make sure that we talked about insurance because I think that that's really important. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, and you alluded to this before we started recording, was that you're kind of in a period of reinventing yourself right now and you've got some some new stuff going on. So can you tell everybody what you got going on? Yeah. So this year, man, it'll be a year, May. Past year has been crazy. I am in a doctoral program at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. It is a PhD. Follow me. So it's, it's long, but people who know me and follow me, they're like, that's perfect. So it's a PhD in educational studies in diverse populations with a concentration in health disparities. So I wanted to basically marry my love of advocacy, making sure kids are ready in the school system, whether they have disabilities or not, and then focusing on disabilities as well. But honestly, Jenna, I just wanted to be in a program where I could study Black families and I wouldn't get any pushback. So I love my program. My cohort is amazing. We all have different topics that cover something in the education system, whether it's pre-K to college and some diverse population. So I'm going to bring up my, my classmate, Stacey. I love her. She is all things Greek life. She is like the president of her grad chapter. She's the assistant uh, director of Greek life at UAB. And she wants to look at uh, the transgender population as it relates to them joining Greek organizations. So when I say our program is like a smorgasbord of things, um, it really, really is. So I closed my practice because I moved to another state, didn't really know this area. And of course, just wanted to get settled in the rules and uh, being in a program. So I decided to get a job and I realized I'm not going to tell you how I for it even though I kind of exposed it on my social media. But um, it's nothing wrong with who I work for. When you own your own business for six and a half years, it's just different. And so you just, you see, back to what we said about looking at businesses, I I now look at their business differently because I own the business, right? But I've decided to reinvent my private practice and that's why I also tell people, don't always put speech in your name because you never know when you need to pivot. So here to speak is just a unique name where I can really go anywhere I want to go with that business wise. So I'm reinventing my tagline for my private practice in calling the tagline education, advocacy and service to ultimately prepare me post PhD program after I graduate. So when people want me to come and speak, I will use my business name, but I also want to kind of have an advocacy business. I feel like I've been in IEP meetings where they have horrible advocates. Sometimes it's lawyers and, you know, lawyers don't even know what to do. I'm going to pivot and do more parent stuff and parent education. And then, of course, the service part would be, you know, if someone wants me to see their kid on the side, I can and the great thing about it is that the school district I work for now is in Georgia. So there's the time difference. So I'm actually done with my day around like 2.30, 3 o'clock. So I still have a good portion of my day where I can get some stuff done. I love that. And I love normalizing and just kind of bringing discussion to this idea of, of pivoting and doing different things. And there's, you know, different seasons of life. And sometimes you yeah. do something for a while and then you decide, you know what, I've I've 
checked that box or I've done that, or I still want to do it, but I want to do it in a different way that serves me and my life now. But I'm so, you know, proud of you for kind of recognizing, you know what, I want to get my PhD and this is what I want to do it in. And like, but still thinking ahead of like, okay, how can I turn that still into a business that serves people? So I think that's awesome, Lauren. I'm not doing this to be anybody's family member. I have realized, and, and anybody who's out there who has a mobile business will totally get what I'm about to say. When you have a mobile business and you are in your community, you just see things. And I, I see how everyone doesn't follow what they're supposed to. Like my early intervention program in Georgia, they had, they needed some help. And I just, I wanted to get the PhD. Not only to be called like Dr. Lauren or whatever, that's just like the, the icing on, on top. But, you know, as a woman of color, I know that there are certain rooms, tables and spaces that I would not walk in easily, but I would get invited to or have access to because I have a PhD, right? And so that's ultimately what I wanted to do because between seeing what was happening in early intervention and then my five years in the school system where people are writing bad goals or you get that bad IEP or they're not testing the kids because it's too much paperwork. No, we are doing a disservice to our kids. And I truly feel like I want to be the catalyst in just breaking all these myths. It doesn't matter. If it's, you know, a black person saying, you know, once you're in special ed, you're always in special ed or, you know, a parent not understanding what's going on or because there's an interpreter there in other languages. They're not some of our terminology is not in that language and getting getting interpreted wrong. I mean, it's a whole gamut of things, but just wanted to be in a position where I can educate people more specifically on how to relate and work with minority families because doesn't matter what class they're in, their culture alone is bringing some, I don't want to use the word barriers, but some things you have to work through because is it Asian or Indian, like where they look at the teacher as the authority so they don't talk in class you know, knowing those things in, or, and then there's some cultures where the dad does all the talking and the mom does not, you know, and so just knowing those, those things, cause I think you get in that spinning wheel or special education and doing these IEP meetings and all of this and you're not taking into account the culture of the person and why they might not come to the meeting or why they might overly involved in the meeting and feel like they have to bring in an advocate, right? You just have to, recognize all of those factors that, you know, make the situation what the situation is. Yeah, totally. No, that makes so much sense. And I think that when we're like called to do certain work, whatever that work is, like, listen to the message, right? No matter who who you're feeling the message is coming from, right? I think that it's important for people to, you know, kind of follow their heart and follow their their mind and to serve their community. I mean, all SLPs were like heart of gold people who just want to help, right? And so whether that is private practice, in advocacy, in teaching, or in like all of the above, 
I think it's we yeah. do really important work and we want the freedom to be able to do it. Right. And that's why I want people to see my journey because I want you to see my journey building up my private practice. I want you to see me in my journey building like a whole new business. Like at the end of the day, yes, Jen and I are like, private practice, private practice, but we all going to hit burnout. Like in May, this is year 13 for me. It's time for me to pivot and do something else. Listen, to all the P's, SLPs out there, we can't be on your floor for you know? So what are we going to do? What? How are we going to pivot? Do you want to be adjunct? Do you want to become a teacher uh, and work in um, a CSD program? Do you want to be an advocate? Do you want to morph a list? How she made uh, like therapy kits and stuff. Yeah. There's whole world of being a businessman. You can do the pivot so you can still just keep that oomph going, you know? Totally. Totally. So listeners, take a cue from Lauren here and really think about, you know, what do you want your life to look like or what season of life are you heading into and how can you create a life and a a business or whatever it is that you want that serves you at this next stage of life? And don't be afraid to make some changes if that's what you need to do for yourself, for your family, for your environment or whatever. All that. Well, Lauren, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. If people would like to connect with you, can you let everyone know where are the best place or places to connect? I'm on everything. I'm on Twitter, but don't follow me. I'm just reckless on there uh, when 90 Days Beyonce comes over. Uh, Twitter is, can be overwhelming, I, but I'm Sassy SLP on there. If you just, you know, just want to follow me on there. Um, but Instagram, Sassy SLP, Lauren Hastings. On LinkedIn and on Facebook, Lauren Hastings, comma, SLP. Um, if you follow any of those platforms, they're all linked together. So I post basically uh, the same thing on there, but you can definitely connect with me for any of those platforms. And then my email is Lauren at here to speak. So that's H E A R, the number two, speak.com. I love it. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your story. And for just sharing some really practical information, too, about, you know, insurance and everything else um, with our listeners. So thank you so much for being on. Well, thanks for having me. I feel like this is full circle. I actually bought Jenna's book, y'all, when I first started. And so the evolution of our relationship is like went from just a consumer to like a banger moment to like colleagues now uh, doing the same thing, kind of sort of. So, yeah, she was definitely like, no, you can do this. There's space for you. So I I appreciate you. Oh, of course. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate Lauren and I are often on the same soapboxes for different things, right? About insurance and about credentialing and about just like getting out there and starting and, you know, kind of taking imperfect action, which is really hard for SLPs. It's always great to be connected with people who are, you know, have similar mindsets, right? So again, to go back to something I said at the very beginning of the episode, like find business besties, or find, yes. you know, colleagues, find people who have the same kind of vision as you, the same kind of mentality mm-hmm. you, because owning a business, it it can be lonely and it can be hard. Yeah. If you're navigating it by yourself, but you don't have to. So go make right. friends like, you know, Lauren and I have become friends. Everyone go connect with Lauren, Sassy SLP. And again, thank you for being on. Okay, don't you just love Lauren? I love how committed she is to helping private practitioners navigate the insurance world and make it less scary and overwhelming. 
I also love that she's had some pivots and changes in her life and business, which is a great reminder to everyone that private practice can be what you make it and can change over different seasons of your life. Lauren mentioned my old ebook that she bought a decade and a half ago because, yes, I've been doing this for a long time. Now, I no longer sell that ebook, which is super outdated at this point. For example, I suggest that people get Hotmail accounts. Yikes! But that was best practice at the time. The programs that I now offer share the latest and greatest up to date information on starting and growing your private practice using today's best practices, as well as time and money saving solutions. If you would like to learn more about our programs and how we support SLPs and OTs who want help across the private practice journey, please visit independentclinician.com. As always, thank you for listening and please tune in next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Till then. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.